Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Blessed Mama Interrupted, an interview with JoLynn Desch. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is JoLynn Desch. JoLynn Desch is a 42-year-old Kansas gal at heart, residing with her husband of four children in suburban Virginia. Mrs. Desch and two of her children have been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Mrs. Desch believes she unknowingly passed the tick disease onto her children in utero. Jolene Desch's normal life was interrupted after the birth of her third child. In the summer of 2014, she began to be plagued with daily migraines that never went away. Then she suffered severe dizzy spells, blood pressure issues, and anxiety. Finally, in 2014, she was hospitalized after she collapsed and lost the ability to move her limbs or to speak. During a subsequent hospitalization, she developed a tremor in her right arm and suffered seizures. On one occasion, she seized 24 times in one hour. Jolene Desch visited approximately 15 doctors over the course of six months before she was diagnosed with Lyme disease. Ironically, the first doctor to suspect and test for Lyme disease was the doctor that delivered her children, her OBGYN. Hello, Jolene Desch, and welcome to the program. Hey, Matt Ridge. Thanks so much for having me. Jolene, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background? Sure. I am a mom. I've got four children, and... I grew up in the Midwest, actually, around horses and animals and kind of in the country. was always super outgoing girl, very funny, so I'm told, kind of life of the party, I guess. Extroverted, spontaneous. I am a homeschooling mom, actually, so super busy. Um, I had three children, well, two at the time, the third on the way and was homeschooling, which is just busy all the time. You're constantly on the go and on your feet and multitasking. So I feel like I was a pretty good multitasker, um, just trying to raise good kids, raise good humans and trying to be the perfect mother and wife. Jolene, tell us about how your symptoms began to develop and how that interfered with your ability to, to be the perfect mom, perfect homeschool teacher, and perfect wife. Yeah. What's kind of ironic, the summer that my symptoms started, we lived in the country and we were driving down this country road and I saw a sign in a man's yard and it said, stop the spread of Lyme disease. And it had a picture of a tick with a big red X on it. And I looked at my husband. Now, I'm symptomatic at this point, but I have no idea. I looked at my husband and I said, what's the big deal with a little tick bite? Boy, was I about to find out. That summer, I had taken one of my kids to an amusement park and got on a roller coaster that did a lot of damage. I ended up with whiplash from, from that ride. And that is when my years and years worth of kind of symptoms that would come and go, they were just bothersome and annoying. They weren't life altering. Everything changed after that whiplash and it just triggered this downward spiral into symptoms that became life altering and debilitating. And I attributed the first ones to just the whiplash because it was headaches, it was dizziness, it was all very, as they say, in my head. But it was getting worse and worse. I was so dizzy all the time that I would have to hang onto the wall or hang onto the counter. I was blacking out and my blood pressure was tanking a lot. I was having hot flashes out of nowhere. And I was familiar with migraines. I had had them for years, maybe once a month. And then that summer they started coming once a week. And then one day I woke up and I had a migraine 
and it never went away. I woke up with it. I went to bed with it every single day. And so at that point, it became this, how are we going to deal with these migraines? What are we doing with these migraines? And I just attributed it to this accident on the roller coaster, not really thinking that, you know, the hot flashes had anything to do with that. I thought, oh, maybe I'm just at that age and getting hormonal. There were all these little symptoms that I wasn't really connecting the dots that they were. And then in November of 2014, I was standing in the kitchen and had just opened the refrigerator and I fell backwards and I collapsed in my husband's arms and we thought I was having a stroke. I went paralyzed. I couldn't speak. Initially, as I was trying to speak, it was all very slurred, but eventually the speech completely left me. I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. And so we immediately rushed me to our local emergency room and yeah, that's the story. So in the emergency room, they were able to determine, no, it's not a stroke. But at that point, I couldn't stand up. I was falling over. I was losing feeling in my arms and my legs. And they discharged me. I had been in the emergency room for three or four hours. And because I was now conscious and awake, even though I could no longer stand up on my own, they discharged me and they said, just swing by CVS for some Dramamine. So Julian, the criteria for you being discharged from the hospital after several hours was you were alert and could speak and it didn't matter the fact that you couldn't walk on your own and you basically needed assistance to even walk out of the hospital. Exactly, they had to wheel me out of the hospital, but the fact that all my labs came back normal, all my scans showed nothing, they thought I was dizzy. At that time, Jolyn, what were you thinking? What was your husband thinking? What was going through your minds? What the heck is wrong with me? We left the emergency room and I said, don't you dare go by CVS. I am not dizzy. This is not an issue that Dramamine is going to fix. I knew then that there was something wrong with me and they were missing it. I had no idea what it was, but I knew that this was far more serious than what they were seeing, what they were telling us. So what were your next steps now you know that they weren't properly, you know, giving you the attention you needed to figure out what was causing your symptoms? You go home, you're severely ill. What do you do next? At this point, I don't remember if I was Googling symptoms because I was so out of it so much of the time. At this point, I'm now kind of fading in and out throughout the day, all day long. And fading out for me was an episode where I would just sort of, I wouldn't even totally black out, but I would lose my ability to speak and I could hear everything ongoing or everything going on around me. I knew what was happening around me, but sometimes my eyes were closed, sometimes they were open, but I was out. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I no longer could walk on my own. So I wasn't doing much Googling at that point, but we knew there was something wrong. And I knew I was not going back to that hospital to figure out what it was. So we started making appointments with every doctor I had ever seen about anything. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And we did. We, we saw a lot of doctors in that amount of time or in, in that week, just that first week. And the ones that I still appreciate the most from that week are the ones that looked at me and said, Jolene, I don't know what this is. Because I would certainly rather be told, I don't know what this is, as opposed to, oh, I think you're just stressed out. 
Bill, and I think we, we can't agree more. So many of our previous podcast guests have said the same thing. Just be honest. Tell us you're not sure what's causing my symptoms. Right. Don't dismiss them as being you're stressed or there's too much going on in your life and you need to relax. Right. Had, had any of your doctors said that to you, that this is just the stress of life or you need to take it easy and slow down? Is, was that ever something that was said to you by your doctors? Absolutely. So the very next week, we went to a different emergency room um, because the symptoms were only getting more frequent at this point. And as I sat waiting to be seen in the emergency room, I developed this tremor in my hand. I remember trying to put on chapstick and I was holding the chapstick in my fingers, but I could not get my arm to move up to my lips because it was just shaking, shaking. And I thought, oh my gosh, is this Parkinson's? And I thought, oh gosh, good. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, good. There's a symptom that will be recognizable to them. They'll know what this is. But again, all my labs came back normal, but they admitted me because now I had this, this questionable symptom. And so during that week I was in the hospital, um, my symptoms progressed. I went from having this tremor to seizures and the seizures were so frequent. At one point we counted 24 seizures in one hour. And all I could think during that time, of course, my husband is panicked and absolutely has no idea what to do and how to progress. And I thought to myself, okay, good. These are, these are symptoms. They're going to know what to do with. They're going to know what causes it. They're going to know what tests to run. And I had every test run in the book. I had every brain scan imaginable. And I was relieved during this time. Here I am, the worst of the worst, and I was relieved, thinking, this is recognizable. They will know what to do. And before they discharged me, a week later, a neurologist, a psychologist, all came to the room, and I said, is this MS? And the neurologist looked at me and said, do you want this to be MS? And I was a little flabbergasted. And I said, no, but I, I want an answer. I, I want to know what this is. And they proceeded to tell me that they thought I needed to seek some mental health counseling, some behavioral health issues. Perhaps there were some things from my past that were coming back up in my memory that my body was reacting to, definitely leading me down this road of, we think you're crazy. We think that, and they said this to me, you're a mother of three young children, you homeschool, you're, you're never getting a break, you are just stressed out. And I thought, who in the world is so stressed out that they're having seizures? Is that really a symptom of stress? But they discharged me. And I went home having to now explain to my children that this is what's happening to mommy. They don't know what's wrong with mommy, but, but don't be scared. We're going to figure this out. And of course, everyone is panicked throughout the whole thing. I don't know if it was just the grace of God or just my, my sheer willpower. No, we're going to get through this. But I never lost hope that we were going to find the answer. And I looked at my husband one day and I said, we don't need to panic. If we need to go to Thailand to find out what's wrong with me, we'll go to Thailand. We will do whatever we have to do. And of course, everyone else, yeah, continued to panic because what they were witnessing was so terrifying. And I think at the time, 
I didn't really give enough credit to the fear that they were enduring, having to watch it. I kept saying to them, this doesn't hurt. I'm, I'm not hurting. It's okay. I know it looks scary, but, but I'm okay. I'm okay. Isn't that funny? Here you are having 24 seizures in an hour at, at sometimes, and the hospital dismisses you to say that it's all in your head. You're unable mm -hmm. to walk, and you're still remaining positive that you're going to get to the bottom of this. So now you're home, and thankfully you have this, this, this wonderful energy and hope. What do you do next? So the entire time when I was having seizures, my head was pounding. The migraine never went away. And so I kept, even though they dismissed it as being connected, I kept believing that the migraines and the seizures were related, somehow connected, because when one would happen, the other would flare up. And so I'm Googling migraines and seizures, migraines and seizures, and one time, and I have yet to see it ever again. I've never found that page ever again. But one time in my search, a web page came up that talked about late stage Lyme disease. And I thought, wow, could that be it? I knew nothing about Lyme disease, nothing. And I thought, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. And I spoke to my husband about it. He, of course, started Googling it. I remember waking up from a nap one time and I walked downstairs and he had some medical book open. He had a web page up on the computer and it was all about Lyme disease and ticks. And I looked at him kind of hopeful, like, oh, okay, have we arrived at this decision that we think this might be it? And he said to me, this isn't something you want to have. And I thought to myself, well, don't they just give you some antibiotics and it goes away? I had no idea at that time. No idea. Your husband is, is desperately doing some research to find what's wrong with you. You're doing the best you can with your, your health condition. How are your children throughout this? So now this is a six month window that you're just, your health declines so quickly. How is it affecting your children, your family, your husband, and your loved ones? I think my two youngest ones were so so little at the time. They were one and three um, at the time. My oldest was eight. And so they, the young ones, I think, didn't fully understand and don't have too much of a memory of it. Although at the time it was, it was terrifying. You know, I, I tuck them into bed every night, read stories every night, and I could now no longer hold open a book. I couldn't look at words on the page because everything hurt. The migraine was so constant that it just hurt to look at words on a page. It hurt to have lights on in a room. And so I was in bed all the time. And my husband tucked my daughter in one night and said, is mommy going to die? Thankfully, after a six-month window, you were able to finally obtain a proper Lyme disease diagnosis. Can you walk us through that journey? Yes. So during the time where we were sort of knocking down the door of every doctor, one of the doctors we saw was my OBGYN. Because at that point, I thought maybe the migraines are, are from hormones. Maybe I have some hormonal imbalance. So let's go see him. And he was the first one in this long string of doctors to say, maybe, maybe this is Lyme. I don't know if this is Lyme because I that's not my area of expertise, but I know that Lyme doesn't look 
like anything typical. He was the first one to sort of look outside the box because every symptom I had, I would have a little bit that looked like MS, a little bit that looked like Parkinson's, a little bit that looked, you know, like a hormonal imbalance, but nothing fit perfectly. And he was the first one to say, yeah, Lyme doesn't really fit perfectly into any one box. So let's look outside that box. And so he ordered a test. And my theory, and this is just my own theory, of why my OB was the first one to think outside that box was because, you know, I, I had just had three children with him. And during a pregnancy, a woman goes into the OB very regularly. And as opposed to your primary care doctor who sees you maybe once a year, maybe once every other year, probably at your worst because you're sick and not feeling well, your OBGYN during pregnancies is seeing you very regularly and you're not really at your worst. Maybe you're a little uncomfortable because you're pregnant, but you're not you're not at your worst. So you develop a rapport with them and they they get to know you as a person. And I think he was able to see the change that had happened in me. I just had a baby a year prior and here I am now walking into this room. I'm fading out, um, having a seizure in front of him and he knows this this isn't Jolyn. This is not right. This doesn't look like the woman that I know. And so I really credit him, even though he didn't, he didn't know what Lyme disease really looked like, but I credit him with being able to see the difference between who I was and who this disease had now turned me into. And so he was the first one to order a test, and he actually ordered the Western blot. And when I went to get the blood drawn, the phlebotomist looked at the paperwork. She was typing it into the computer, and she said, oh, wait, wait, oh, this is the wrong code. Oh, this isn't the test we normally run. Isn't that interesting? That made no sense to me at the time, but now I, I realize that he had sort of gone over that, you know, Alyssa test, that first test that's typically ordered for, for Lyme disease, and he went straight for the Western blot. And so it was a couple of weeks before those results came back. And at that point, I wasn't even thinking Lyme. I thought, eh, it's been a couple of weeks, haven't heard from him. Everything must be normal. Yet again, every test was coming back normal. And it was it was about two weeks later. It was a couple of days before Christmas. And he called me and, and I said, do I have Lyme disease? That's how I answered the phone. Do I have Lyme disease? Thinking he would say, no, all your labs were fine. And he said, actually, I don't know. And that's when I sort of got concerned. And he said, I don't know how to interpret these results because this is not my area of expertise, but there are some questionable things on this Western blot. So I would like to send you to an infectious disease doctor whom he thought, you know, was the person to go to for an infectious disease. But because it was right before Christmas, there was this time period where, you know, not a lot of people are scheduling appointments. And so I scheduled an appointment with the infectious disease doctor for like January 5th or something. And at this point, having sort of thought Lyme disease, you know, a few weeks prior and now hearing from him, we started researching. I found the name of a Lyme disease doctor in our local area and made an appointment. But he too couldn't see me until after the new year. So I thought, okay, well, at least we have a plan. We're going to see these doctors. And I went to the infectious disease doctor. I had outlined this 
six-month period of hell that we had just lived through, he looked at the Western blot and he said to me, well, I don't know what it is, but it's not Lyme disease. And he reached out his hand, shook my hand and said, good luck to you. And that was it. He walked out of the door. Jolyn, what did that feel like leaving that office, thinking that you finally had an answer and it was likely Lyme disease to be told from a specialist that you should be telling you if you had Lyme or not, that it wasn't Lyme, good luck, move on to the next thing. I was pissed. My husband was outraged, but I knew in that moment, well, this isn't our guy. This isn't our guy. And my husband left there completely deflated, feeling like, great, we're never going to figure this out. But I knew a week later, I had an appointment with the Lyme disease specialist. And I had no idea what that would turn into. But I just looked at my husband and I said, he's not our guy. He doesn't know. I was mad. I felt like his bedside manner was completely lacking and he was very rude. That's all he said after, you know, this detailed six-month history that he offered no help. He offered no comfort. He offered no guidance. But as you speak to more and more Limeys, you will realize that that is not an uncommon reaction from an infectious disease doctor, which, which is sad, but part of the journey, I guess, for us all to learn that the medical community isn't all on the same side when it comes to this disease. So a week later, we went to the Lyme disease specialist, and I was still hopeful at this point, hopeful that we would find an answer, that we were on the right track. I just never gave up hope. And I think because my family was so scared this whole time, I had to show them that I wasn't scared. And, and I knew we were going to find help. So, and I, I just want to interrupt here for one second. We interviewed uh, a woman named Randy Goodman a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she started uh, an organization called Think Lime. And one of the things that I keep thinking as you're sharing your story is, what is your theory about why you went to so many doctors and none of them thought Lyme? Well, I think, I think there's a lot of different answers to that question. My Lyme doctor once said to me, because I was angry, I was angry at every doctor that tried to brush me off. I was angry that I was told so many times that this was just stress or that I needed mental health counseling. I was angry. And he said to me, not all doctors know what Lyme looks like because we aren't trained to see Lyme as looking anything like what you're presenting. And it was that kind of perspective that gave me this, this sense that I, I can't hold a grudge. I can't be angry at all of them because for some of them, this is no fault of their own that they don't know. They weren't being taught. They weren't being trained to see that Lyme is more than a bullseye rash. And I think perhaps seeing more and more people come through their door, that's how my Lyme doctor became a Lyme doctor. There were enough sick people coming through his door with all these questionable symptoms that no one knew what to do with, that he started thinking Lyme. And I think slowly but surely, maybe over who knows how many years it will take, but we will start to change the perception of what Lyme disease looks like to all these doctors that didn't know. Because some aren't trying to be arrogant, although there are some that are. Some of them just don't have the knowledge. Jillian, now that you finally have a Lyme disease, you know, test and, you know, debatable whether or not it's positive, when you went to see your Lyme literate doctor, can you describe that experience and how that was different from all of your other doctor visits? Yes. Yeah, so 
the very first thing that was noticeably different was he wanted all my medical records, which took a long time to get because I had now seen at least 15 doctors just in this six-month period. I could go back years and years and see that I was presenting with symptoms for a long time. But just in this six-month period, I had seen 15. And so I had all my medical records ready for him. And we were in his office for two to three hours, which was very different than all the other doctors that gave me five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I understand there is a reason that that's how they have to operate. But to have someone sit down and thoroughly go through your medical history, looking back, not just over the last six months, but looking back a lifetime of medical issues makes you feel like they genuinely care. They genuinely want to help you get better. And I felt like even if he didn't know what was wrong with me, he was giving us time and attention. And that was something that was lacking in all those other 15 doctors that we had seen. Julian, did he, when you left that visit that day, did you walk away with a Lyme diagnosis? He said to me, so he wanted to run labs. You know, I'd had so many blood draws at this point. I felt like nothing was going to show anything. But he wanted to run labs and get the test results before he confirmed anything. But I said to him before we left, what is this? And he said, I, I want to wait till the tests are back. And I said, but what do you think this is? And he said, I think you have Lyme disease and I think you have multiple tick-borne illnesses. Julian, how was the testing that your Lyme litter doctor issued different than the testing done by your OBGYN for Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses? Yes. Yeah, so my OBGYN was looking for you know, CDC positive bands on the Western blot. And every Lyme knows that CDC positive is not necessarily an accurate indication of Lyme disease. So my labs through my Lyme doctor were sent to Igenix and Stony Brook, which is not far from you, as well as, mm, I think, MDL possibly. And so those results showed more and showed something different than just what my original Western blot had shown that my OBGYN had, had run. You know, almost every one of our guests that we've spoken to has used an hygienics test to definitively prove that they have Lyme disease after getting mm -hmm. other tests that weren't as accurate as you described. So hygienics really is the gold standard. And there's some others that we've learned about, like DNA connections, that it's not permit, uh, permissible here in New York, for whatever reason, it is to contact the governor of New York, but it's available in other states. And that's a test on your urine as well. That seems to be another very popular, uh, very accurate testing for Lyme disease. It's interesting. It's interesting to me how many, how many different ways you can test. However, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that out of most doctors. They wouldn't recommend it. They wouldn't do it. They, they, they likely don't know about it. And yet, those of us in the Lyme community know so much. In addition, to, in addition to those tests, there's also the PCR tests that look for the DNA of the bacteria. And Correct. standard testing that's issued, the ELISA and the, and the Western blot, are just looking for an immune response to the bacteria from Lyme disease and other tick-borne diseases. So if you can get more accurate by looking for the DNA, that seems a better way to take you know, your, your testing approach. But that's not really done by most doctors around here. Correct. Not done by pretty much anyone. I wouldn't say most. I would say not done by any of them. 
So, so now when you, you, you get your test results back, is this a visit where your doctor calls you in to discuss it? Is it a phone call? Let's walk through that process of how you, you learn about your results. He knew um, when I left my first appointment that the, the test results would likely be back in a couple of weeks. And so he asked me to schedule two weeks from then, which we did. And it was an in-office visit. And he confirmed I had Lyme disease, I had Babesia, I had Bartonella, and that we would start treating them. And I was relieved at this point, completely relieved that there was an answer finally to what had been plaguing me for so long. And I thought, great, we'll start treatment, I'll get better, and off we'll go with the rest of our lives. I had no idea that treatment would be lengthy, it would be so hard that there wouldn't be much progress for a long time. Um, and I think the more co-infections you have, the sicker you were to begin with makes treatment harder, take longer. It's a slow uphill climb. He said to me, we're going to, and I had, you know, done enough research at this point and had ideas. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm, I'm going to start IV antibiotics. And he said, slow down. No, we're not going to start IV antibiotics. But I had learned that that was, that was an aggressive form of treatment. And I said, but I want to be aggressive with this. I, I need to get better. And he said, you are too sick. Your body can't handle anything fast and aggressive. You won't get better quick. There is no getting better quick with this disease. And I was so upset that he wasn't willing to be aggressive. Now, did we start treating? Absolutely. Was I on more oral medications than you could fit in one basket? Absolutely. But to be told this is going to be a slow process was so, I just felt defeated. And I think the struggle with the treatment protocol for Lyme disease, especially when there's other factors like numerous other tick-borne diseases, is that you, there's really no set course of treatment and what will right. work for you wouldn't work for somebody else. So it's really a trial and error process to see what's going to help you and then move down that road to identify what works and continue the treatment to get you better. Yes, absolutely. And I always tell people, I get you know calls about Lyme disease all the time and People want to know what worked for me. What, what did you take? How did you get better? And I'll explain it. I detail it for people. But during my worst of the worst, I, I was doing everything the doctor had told me to do. But I was also hearing from other people, other people with Lyme. I was, you know, seeing on Facebook Lyme pages, all these other protocols that people were doing. And like I said, I had no time to be sick. I had three three young children. I, I needed to get better faster. And I thought we weren't doing that fast enough. So I started ordering online and getting on Amazon, all these herbs and all these, you know, supplements that I could add to it just to make it go faster. And that doesn't work for everybody. You can't look at someone else's journey with Lyme disease, someone else's treatment for Lyme disease and think that that is going to be your go-to. I think that by doing that, I overtaxed an already barely functioning body and just made things probably take longer. In addition to the multiple antibiotics, the oral antibiotics that you took, the anti-malaria medication for the Babesia, you also uh, did a treatment called hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which really was your game changer. Can you talk more about that? Yes, absolutely. So about six months into treatment, I 
wasn't doing well. And they always say with Lyme treatment, you will get worse before you get better. I can't say I got worse per se, but there was definitely no progress. My doctor offered hyperbaric oxygen treatment in his office, and he kept saying to me, I really want you to try this. I really think you should try this. But I was looking at the price tag thinking, I can't afford to try this. You know, we were already spending so much money out of pocket for office visits and so much money out of pocket for the multiple medications that I was taking. I didn't want to try one more thing. And my son, who was eight years old, said to me one day, as my husband and I were discussing it and questioning whether we should try it, he said, Mommy, if it's going to make you better, why wouldn't you try it? And I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, I had said to my husband, we'd go to Thailand if we had to. Why wouldn't I try this if there is possibly the hope of getting better? And so we signed up and I had to travel to my doctor's office Monday through Friday for one month. And at this point, I was so debilitated I couldn't drive. So I was finding drivers. I was having friends and neighbors take me to places needing child care to help, you know, cover bases at home. But I was committed at this point. Okay, we're going to try this. And I was wheelchair bound at this point, bed bound if I were home. And within three days, and this isn't necessarily typical for everyone who tries this, but in my experience, it changed the course of treatment for me. Within three days of hyperbaric oxygen treatment, I was no longer in a wheelchair. I could walk. Though wobbly, I could walk to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't walk through a grocery store because that was, you know, too much for the legs that hadn't had much activity for quite some time. But, but I could get around my house again on my own. I had gone from taking a couple very long naps during the day to no naps needed at all. And though I wasn't 100% functional, that was just so much change in such a short amount of time that after the one month of hyperbaric treatment at my doctor's office, we decided that this treatment was so crucial to my recovery that we purchased our own hyperbaric oxygen chamber to have here at home. And it was a prescription. He had to write a prescription for it. And, you know, it's a massive thing sitting in my basement now, but I then didn't have to travel to his office every day to do it, could be in it every single day here at home for hours at a time. And we did that. We did that for months and months and months. And I really believe that was the turning point in my recovery. That doesn't mean there weren't still bad days. That doesn't mean that I wasn't still sick and struggling. But that was the first sign of progress. Jolyn, so you went from being horribly sick, bedbound, sleeping most of the day, to yeah. quickly, within days, being able to walk, not taking naps, and then over the past several years, in combination with your other treatment that you've been receiving, where are you today? I would say I'm about 98%, which I honestly didn't think was possible. I remember being at about the 70% thinking, if I have to live the rest of my life like this, that'd be fine. But now to be almost completely back to normal, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling to look back 
four and a half years and see where we were and how far we've come and the uphill climb and the hills and valleys that this disease has thrown at us, see how far I've improved. It's so important that our listeners realize that if they're in the throes of Lyme today, listening to this podcast, that you couldn't walk, you were sleeping, you had no idea what was wrong, and you were just yeah. you were just literally bed bound. And here you are yeah. today, years later, 98% restored back to full health. And you're an yeah. inspiration to, to so many of us, and you're sharing your story to let us know that there is hope and to not give up and to keep fighting to find you know, that, that solution that's going to help them heal and recover to get to where you are today. I think having hope, at least for me, I felt like having hope was the thing that I clung to when everyone else around me was disheartened, when they were panicking, when they were convinced that this treatment wasn't working, that things weren't working fast enough. I made a commitment and I believed that I had found the right doctor. I truly believed that God led me to that doctor and that his treatment plan, if I stuck with it, was going to get me through. And I stuck with it. And it was hard. And it was long. And there were bad days. There were symptoms for years. There were still symptoms. Not debilitating. Not always, you know, symptoms that other people could see from the outside. But for years, I struggled with symptoms. But I never lost hope that I would be well enough to walk up and down the stairs again. I would be well enough to take care of my kids, to do the normal things. That was my goal, just to be able to do the normal things. And to be beyond that now just blows my mind away. I, I can do more than the normal things. I can exercise again, which was absolutely off the table for years. So I'm able to live a full life. I'm not just surviving anymore. We're living. We're living a full life. Jolena, I just want to focus for one more minute on your faith, because yeah. it sounds to me that if you didn't have faith and you therefore didn't believe, you wouldn't have been able to take any action. And it is important for folks to recognize the difference between faith and doubt and how doubt will cause you to be paralyzed, will not allow you mm. to take action, and therefore will not be able to have the type of accomplishments uh, that you've had. Absolutely. And I think doubt and fear is completely normal when you're dealing with something as overwhelming as a Lyme disease diagnosis. But I had hope and I had faith that, that God had led me to this journey and was not going to let me go. You know, I was not going to drown. He was going to get me to the other side of that. And I never lost that. There were certainly days, there were months where I wanted to just say, I'm tired of being the strong one. I'm tired of having hope when I'm not getting well. I wanted to give up. I wanted to just be done with the headache of this disease. But I had kids that needed their mommy back, and I had to keep fighting. Joanne, something you just said really stuck out was that you, you, you told yourself that you were not going to drown. And I think many of us Limeys know Avril Lavigne and her hit song, Head yes. Above Water. And what yes. an inspiration that is to so many of us Limeys that don't give up. You're not going to drown. Yeah. Keep your head above water and keep fighting and you will get through this. Yes. Yes. And you will feel like you're drowning. You will feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But there is a life vest around us. And I just held on to that faith. I held on to that promise that God was going to get me through this. And, and here I am. Here I am. 
One final question I have for you, and I think Rich may have some more, is that you really noted to us offline about the struggles it is being a Lyme and recovering and how it affects your social life and how people look at you after being sick for so long. Can you just discuss that and what it's like for our listeners? When you are diagnosed with this disease, you really end up fighting two fights. You are fighting for your life because this disease is all-consuming, completely, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But you are also fighting this controversy, this political divide within the medical community of what Lyme really looks like. And you didn't ask to be a part of that, but, but it's part of the fight. And being so sick, I think, changes you. It changes how you perceive the world, but I think having others see you sick changes how they perceive you. And I think when people see you not bouncing back, not, you know, just quick recovering, it leaves you feeling really vulnerable. And Lyme is really isolating. Even if you're surrounded by people that love you and people that care for you, you are living in your mind, this isolating world that nobody understands. And during that time, there are going to be people that fall out of your life because, you know, no fault of their own. Everyone is busy. They have their own lives. Moms with kids certainly are constantly busy. And so keeping up with a sick person, it's a chore. It really is. And I understand that. And so some people in your life just, just move on. And it's heartbreaking. It's lonely. It feels even more isolating. And when you get well again, it's tough to then feel like that same spontaneous extroverted social butterfly that you may have been prior to this disease completely taking you down. So reintegrating into your, your old life, reintegrating into your social circles is going to be very different because you are different. You are different because this disease has, it's changed you. It changes how you see things. But through it all, I think there are people that stick with you, even from miles away, are by your side through the worst of it and see you through to the other side of it. And those are the people that you hold on to and that you cherish. And you don't need to feel the pressure to be the same person that you were prior to the disease. It's okay if it changes you. It's okay if you are not the same person socially. And it's okay if you just need to huddle close with your family and make that your focus, make that your priority. And you're not necessarily that same social, eager to do it all kind of person again. And I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about how you were transformed in a positive way. What has changed in you that's different and positive as a consequence of this experience? It was tough at first to be so sick and to have people not understand what was making you sick. But once I started, started coming out of the fog, coming out of the, the gray cloud, I realized that my journey with this was it was worse than any other Limey I had ever met and still have yet to meet anyone who's been as sick as I was. And I'm not downplaying anyone else's symptoms, but just in my own personal life of all the Limeys that I know, I, I haven't met anyone who had been as severely sick as I was. And I use that as a tool to help others prevent this from happening to their family because tick bites and Lyme disease can be preventable 
pick fights can be avoidable. And I never want to see what happened to me happen to someone else when I know the tools to keep them from getting sick. And so at this point, I feel like I'm on a mission to educate anyone who will listen about the dangers and the severity and the reality of Lyme disease and how to avoid that happening to you or your family. And Jolyn, you've been able to use these tools that you're sharing with others to even protect your own family. For example, um, you shared with us offline that uh, at least one of your children or perhaps two of your children have contracted Lyme in utero. Yes. When I was first diagnosed and had learned that it was a possibility that Lyme could be transmitted in utero, at first I was concerned about my third child because I knew I could recall a tick bite that I had while I was pregnant with him. I didn't know anything about Lyme then. I didn't even know, you know, you needed to do anything then remove the tick. And so concerned that possibly that may have been the bite that transmitted all of this, I was concerned about him. I can look back now and see that for decades, I had been presenting with symptoms that were Lyme. At the time when I was diagnosed, I expressed my concern about my he was one at the time, my baby, and it said, I think, I think he's sick. I, I want to make sure he's not sick. How do we test him? And my doctor said to me, you need to slow down. We need to get you well first. He is not symptomatic, or so we thought. We need to get you well first. And so a year into treatment, I became, you know, you're researching, you're, you're learning a lot about the disease, the ins and outs, the symptoms and whatnot, and how sometimes symptoms can look different in children than they do in adults. Not always, but they can. And so I, after a year, found a pediatric nurse practitioner who treats Lyme. And I was concerned about what I was seeing in him, the lack of developing milestones, the temperament and the behavior, and some other things that were happening with him. And so I wanted to get him tested. We did. We went that route. He tested positive. Within a few months, my second child had a concussion. She was hit on the head with something really hard. And within three days of that injury to her head, she started having seizures. They were absent seizures, which are seizures. They're not epileptic. She's not convulsing on the ground. But they were seizures where she would be in the middle of a sentence. She would say, hi, mommy, can I have more juice? And it would come out. Hi, mommy, can I have more juice? She would be cut off in the middle of a sentence. Or I saw her running around in the backyard one day, and mid-stride, she froze. She was taking a walk around the block with her brother one day, and he came running in and said, Mommy, she can't, she can't move. She's stuck in the road. Those things concerned me because those things had happened to me. And not wanting another Lyme diagnosis in this family, I went down every route, every neurological route possible to see, was this all just caused by this hit on the head? Is this a concussion, a really nasty symptom of this concussion that she'd had? And we had a really genius pediatric neurologist here that after all the tests had been run, said to me, Jolyn, I think you need to consider Lyme disease. And of course, I was devastated, but I couldn't deny the fact that she had been symptomatic since birth. And she and her younger brother had both had very difficult infancies, um, were very, very ill from the time they were born, and I was looking at Lyme. 
so we had her tested. She tested positive and started treatment as well. But I really believe that part of my journey with this disease myself led me to the knowledge of what Lyme disease looks like, what it looks like potentially, you know, there's 300 potential symptoms for Lyme disease. So it's tough to, it's tough to nail down, but, but I knew what I was looking at. And even though I wanted to deny it for my daughter out of fear, I knew, I knew what I was looking at and I knew what to do. I knew where to go. I knew how to get them treated and how to get them treated immediately. And so my children never had to endure a doctor saying, I think this is a mental health issue. I think possibly you just need counseling because that's a slap in the face to someone who's ill. And I never wanted my children to have to endure that. You were the perfect mom. You've become a more perfect mom as a consequence of your Lyme experience. And, and I'd like you to now share with our listeners uh, what you would do knowing now what you know if you yeah. woke up tomorrow morning and found a tick on your leg. First of all, there's no perfect mom. I'm just trying my best, <laughs> as we all are. But if I ever found a tick bite, I would scream. Let's just be honest. If things are creepy, they're disgusting. And being a limey, the last thing you ever want to find on yourself or a loved one is an attached tick. So after the panic, yes, my husband would say, don't panic, but come on, we would panic. So after the panic, I would remove the tick. I would save the tick. I would send it off for testing immediately because what you learn from testing a tick will help you decide what route to take for treatment. And then I would definitely hop in my hyperbaric oxygen chamber and kill off any pathogens that little creature left behind in its wake. <laughs> but I would test every tick. And I know that there's a lot of people that have different ideas of what they would do, but just from my shoes, from living a life where Lyme almost killed me, I always recommend that you, you treat every bite. You don't want to take the chance that this happens to you. Jolyn Desh, we thank you very much for sharing your story and your family story with our listeners. You are a wonderful guest. And we do believe here at Take Bootcamp that because of your sharing and the sharing of others just like you, that we're going to be able to defeat this terrible epidemic. Absolutely. Let's pray that happens. And I really appreciate all that you two do towards spreading awareness. We need to just keep it up. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And you guys keep up this great work. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you would like to learn more about Jolene Desh and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at gettickedoffatline. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast interview, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates for our Tech Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of our reviews. Thank you for listening.